As we work our way through the letter to the Hebrews, there's an underlying question that we are confronted with, which is no small thing. What are you hoping for? Not like, what gift do you hope to get for Christmas? It's far more significant than that. It's a big picture question. What is it? What does it look like when you've arrived at what you deeply long for? So much so that it governs and directs what you think about and what you do. It's obvious the writer of Hebrews has a conviction about what the hope of a Christian should be all about, but he is also a realist about the people he is writing to. They are in danger of losing hope, misplacing their hope. And this, we are warned, is of eternal consequences. In one sense, the circumstances here are very different. The people being written to have suffered persecution for their faith, and they're threatened with much difficulty again because of their faith. Except from a distance, it's been difficult for us in the West to imagine persecution because of our faith. Look into history and you see that much of the freedoms and values that our countries in the West have been built upon were largely influenced for the good by Christianity. But ironically, how quickly things have been changing to oppose that which was once foundational to what we enjoy today. Where could that lead to for us? And though we are not yet so much persecuted, in some ways the Hebrew circumstances may be similar. As many a Christian has found themselves in at one point in their journey with God, and perhaps this is where it finds you, though there was a time when your faith was fresh and alive, it is now less so. In Hebrews, we have seen the gamut from stalled growth to unbelief to apostasy, and that is the turning away from Christ altogether, which is why the warnings in Hebrews, of which there are five, are applicable to us all. The extreme tragedy of apostasy begins with the initial steps of undenied temptation and unbelief. We're jumping into Hebrews 10, verse 32. The hearers, most likely Jewish Christians, can be encouraged. They have, in the past, done well. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These few verses in chapter 10 give us the clearest insight into their cultural context. Because of their faith, they had endured suffering, shame, and loss of possessions, even imprisonment, but they stayed true to their faith. Imagine your home being taken from you. Imagine you can't eat in a restaurant because you're looked down upon and they won't let you in. Imagine being imprisoned in dungeon conditions for your faith, that you made it through once. But you know how it is when things get harder than you thought or when you hoped, and there's that word hope, you hoped you were through with a difficulty only for it to rear its ugly head again? Remember when COVID first hit? It seems like a distant memory now, but I recall having to scramble to make decisions with our team regarding the, the first closure of in-person gatherings for the church and deciding on what to message regarding the future. It was March 2020, and, and some churches were talking about being open to gather by April for Easter. And though we hoped it would be over fast, look how long its impact lasted and the damage to the mental health that resulted in such long and extended measures to cope with it. In Proverbs it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The writer knows how important it is for us not to lose our hope. When there's another wave of difficulty, when you face yet another challenge to your life and faith, hear what he has to say. Verse 35, 
Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It has been well documented in Canada and the U.S. that when it comes to religious affiliation, the largest growing segment is the nuns. That is no religious affiliation. The growing numbers has to come from somewhere, and one of the contributors is the stream of those who once identified as Christian, but no longer do. I have, you have, friends, even family, who once confessed Jesus, but in words and works deny him now. Maybe you are in that place of wondering too. I don't think the writer to the Hebrews here is advocating a mindless faith in God that never allows for a hint of perplexity or wrestling with our situations, trying to reconcile them when we are in the middle of hard circumstances or trying to make sense of things when things don't seem to make sense, especially in light of God's ability to fix things, when things seem still so broken. In verse 37, the author is quoting the book of Habakkuk in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And if you know this brief prophetic word, you know that the prophet was struggling with his own perplexity. There's evil all around him among his own people, and yet it seems like God is doing nothing about it. We all have this desire, this wiring for justice, and in his day, Habakkuk laments, justice goes forth perverted. And then it gets even more disconcerting for Habakkuk. God tells him he is going to address the injustice among his people as, as Habakkuk wanted, but God is going to do so using a more wicked nation than Israel to discipline them. What? I mean, that doesn't seem right. And Habakkuk makes his complaint and perplexity about this to God. How can God, who is so pure, allow the wicked to swallow up those who are more righteous? But God assures him, in the end, things will be made right. God knows what he is doing. In time, everyone will get the justice due them. But Habakkuk will have to wait for it. He's got to wait for it to all come together and make sense. In the in-between, Habakkuk, in the in-between, the righteous shall live by their faith. In Hebrews, the word confidence comes up a lot. Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. And we have seen so far why we should have this confidence in God through Jesus Christ. In the midst of their difficulty, the writer has gone to great lengths to show us his listeners and, and to show us the magnificence of, of their and our salvation so that we will trust him and not lose hope in our in-between. To summarize to this point, our Savior is none other than God himself in the person of Jesus, superior to all other beings. Hebrews 1, the word of God, creator and sustainer of life, eternal king. Hebrews 2, the God who became one of us calls us family, suffered on our behalf so that he might defeat our adversary, Satan, and deliver us from the fear of death. The God who fully took on our humanity so that he is both the perfect judge and merciful high priest. Hebrews 3 and 4, Jesus, the greatest leader, who is fully able to take us into the promises that God has given to us. Hebrews 5 and forward, a deeper dive into Jesus, our superior representative to God, our high priest from an eternal line of priesthood, Melchizedek, the mediator of a new and better covenant, a better way to God that speaks of better things, which God has in store for us forever. No wonder the writer proclaims like a captain of the army as they head out into the battle to fight for faith again. Verse 39, 
But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is that which keeps us in the right path and takes us through to the salvation that God intends for us. You've got to have faith. And that moves us into chapter 11. This well-known chapter has often been referred to as the Hall of Faith. And in his encouragement to faith, the writer briefly defines faith, but more importantly, he shows us what faith looks like as he demonstrates through example after example how faith is and how it has always been a part of the family line of which Christ's followers are now a part. These examples are to inspire us to live in the same way. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. The word assurance here can also be translated confidence. Faith is confident. Faith is sure of what we hope for. It has a conviction of something in the future which cannot yet be seen with the naked eye, and that's why it requires faith. You don't hold it uh, in your physical possession yet, but you believe that one day you will. And this has specifically to do with faith in God as a person and faith in his character and faith in his promises, that you believe in him, that he is what he says he is, and he will bring about to pass what he promises. When you're in a relationship with someone you love, one of the most important features of that relationship is that you fully trust each other. Maybe you have experienced this how hurtful and even devastating it can be when the other person you deeply love doesn't believe in you when they doubt you. God will remain faithful as we necessarily at times wrestle with the perplexity of our circumstances, but our doubts are never to be the destination of our struggle. Faith is, and doubt can actually lead us there, but doubt is not to be the goal or the end. The writer is one who has arrived at the place of faith, and he is doing everything he can to help us to get there too. For by it, faith, the scripture says, the people of old received a commendation. While persistent unbelief is the place of condemnation, faith is the place of commendation. Commended, when God speaks a good word over you, well done! good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear God speak that over you? Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer is going to walk us down the halls of history, but first he starts with creation. Given the grand design of our world and its fine-tuning, it is not unintelligible faith to believe God created the world but it does take faith, specifically because it is an act that you cannot see. After his resurrection, Jesus had appeared to the disciples who proclaimed to others that they had seen Jesus. The disciple Thomas was not there, and he told the others, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and, the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And graciously, eight days later, Jesus shows up to oblige him. Thomas, see, touch, my hands, my side. Now you believe. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You cannot restage creation to observe it. It wasn't recorded on video for us to watch today. You can only look at the evidence of what exists. So it's not illogical, but it still takes faith because the very beginning is unseen. This is important to our understanding and experience of faith today. Your circumstances are tangible. They are, they're in front of you. They scream for attention, telling you that this is all there is to your picture. On the other hand, God is unseen. The promises are unseen. And it's so tempting to doubt. But faith has a conviction about God and his promises. And it shows itself in a physical way by what we do. My dad used to say, faith is known by the actions it promotes. And the author walks us through characters of Genesis, beginning with Abel and Enoch, highlighting this through repetition. They were commended by their God because of their faith, and their faith was demonstrated in what they did. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Sometimes when we think of God, I don't think we think of him as being a person, a person that is affected by what we do. You have feelings. How people treat you, it has impact. If others criticize you, doesn't that hurt? If others go out of their way to serve you, aren't you blessed? Some of you know this is my last message to you as the lead pastor of Central Heights Church. In my last week, our staff have really blessed me. They've gone out, they went out of their way to deceive me and surprise me with a lunch, a guest visit by Elvis, encouraging words, prayer, and dedicating the washrooms in my name. Okay, that was a bit of mockery. Then they pretended to de dedicate the file room in my honor. Such, such love. I was affected in a good way. Think about this. God is affected by our faith. He is pleased when we believe in him. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In Hebrews, there are these threads that run throughout. Words are repeated to give us, through reflection, a deeper or more fully nuanced understanding. Impossible is one of those words. We have been told that it is impossible to return from apostasy. Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible for God to lie, says that in the same chapter. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We saw that last week in Hebrews chapter 10. And here we are told it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. In this letter, we've been encouraged to draw near to God, the one whose throne is characterized by grace, with our representative Jesus, but we must come with faith. And the writer characterizes that by two things. Faith believes, one, that God exists, and two, that he rewards those who seek him. The ESV expresses rewards as a verb, an action that God does. A bit, a bit is lost in translation because in the original language, it's actually a noun. He, God, is a rewarder of those that seek him. 
It's in God's nature. His disposition is to give and to bless. And it is particularly released to those who believe in him to be this way. Do you believe in him? Do you see him as a gift giver? Do you believe in him as a rewarder? I'm not talking about a mental check mark you made you know, a long time ago. The word seek here is a present participle. Are you seeking him in faith, in the now, despite your circumstances, maybe in spite of what you see? What do you see with the eyes of faith about God? How does that motivate your actions to do the will of God? As we read in Hebrews, for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake and serving the saints as you still do. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Do you believe that God is a rewarder? As we seek him, stay faithful to him? Do you know that your faith is the mo- in the most difficult circumstances is that which can bring him joy? I mean, given what it is saying here, think about this. Instead of moaning about our inevitable difficulties, what if we flip that on its head and said, what an opportunity to please God in this moment. Tell your soul, speak it out. God, I'm choosing to believe in you. I'm not going to grumble like the children in the wilderness. I'm not going to doubt you. I'm going to walk by faith and trust that you will work out things together for good. Not in this life, for certain in my forever. I believe in you. I know that's not easy, but that's pleasing to God. These were not easy times for the Christians receiving this letter. If they were thinking of going back to the old ways to escape persecution, they should know that the people of old were commended for what they are potentially neglecting to do, have faith. Here comes more witnesses to that. Verse seven, by faith Noah. Verse eight, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. And what makes them so distinct in their faith is their ability to look past that which is seen, refusing to let their circumstances be the final word and instead superseding that with a belief in the unseen God and his promises to be possessed in a future promised land. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You can live for the here and now. You can think that this summit that you're on is all there is, or you can live for something better that God has promised, characterized as a new city, a new homeland. You can't see it with the physical eye, but to the eyes of faith, it's there to live towards, wait towards, endure towards, hope towards. And those who do, God is not ashamed to be called their God. As you live by faith, hear God saying, that's my boy, that's my girl. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. All these modeled what it looks like to live with a mind for the future based on a present confidence in the faithfulness of God. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Consider the choice Moses made for God against the alternatives. They are not unlike our own. 
After being hidden by his parents to escape an Egyptian genocide, he finds himself raised in the most powerful household in their known world, that of the ruler Pharaoh. And the first century writer, Philo, proposes that Moses would have been next in line to rule. Imagine, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, and not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Moses chose something better than privilege. It's hard for us to imagine his options as a son of Pharaoh's daughter with all the wealth and power at their disposal. It's hard for us to imagine the contrasting shame of identifying with the Jewish slaves of the Egyptian kingdom instead. Moses chose something better than self-preservation. He was willing to be mistreated, not being afraid of the king's anger, and in so doing, putting himself in a very vulnerable place. And Moses chose something better than pleasure. As a member of Pharaoh's family, he could have any and every indulgence at his fingertips. Privilege, self-preservation, pleasure. These have a powerful pull in our lives, but Moses gave them all up for something better. He chose the oppression of the people of God and the reproach of Christ instead. Why? Why be so crazy, Moses? From the world's standard, you could have it all. Moses could see above it. He endured because he was looking for him who is invisible, God, and the promises of living for him. He believed that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What are the things you are tempted to live for here in our present, to strive after, to be consumed about in your thinking, regardless of age and position, to be absorbed in lesser things is a temptation to all of us, common to all of us. As missionary Jim Elliott, who died and living out his faith, so famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The hall of faith goes on, verse 29, by faith, the people of Israel. Verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, showing us that our past does not need to prevent us from pleasing God in the future. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Yes, time would fail us to discuss in detail the stories of all the men and women of faith that are listed here. For some, God empowered their faith towards deliverance and victories in their circumstances. But we read on. For some, God empowered their faith to remain faithful despite their circumstances. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This list of people were all commended by God for their faith. Yet they did not have and experience what we have today in the better way of Jesus. They anticipated it and looked forward to it. And their faith is inspirational, but it only becomes complete in Christ as we will all be united in our future world at the day of our Lord Jesus. So as they did, we wait. There is an in-between for us to live in. We have experienced Jesus and his new way. As outlined in Hebrews, all that is so much better, but the fullness of it is yet to come for us. And in the meantime, there can be victory and deliverance. There can be hardship and pain. And in the in-between, the righteous will not shrink back. The righteous will live by faith. Faith leaves a legacy. It said that Abel, though he died through his faith, still speaks. What will your legacy be, alive and in the days when you are not? By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. Insert your name there. By faith, George, Tammy, Gwen, Bill, whatever your name is, by faith. Insert your church name there. By faith, the people of God, Central Heights. As we live to please God by faith and inspire others to love and live for him the same, one more thing. As inspirational as these men and women are in Hebrews 11, they are witnesses that lead us to our greatest example brought to our attention again in the next chapter, Jesus. Not only our example, but the one in whom our faith is founded and the one who you can know will help you and bring your faith to its completion, trusting to the very end. Believe in him. Whoever puts their trust in him will never be disappointed. Thank you, Central Heights, for the opportunity to serve alongside of you. Let me leave you with these words out of Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.